you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. Welcome to the podcast. Today we're going to talk about a new project Jehovah's Witnesses just completed. Then we're going to talk about the election and how we're even going to vote without infecting people. And finally, we're going to talk about what Mormons are doing to try to mitigate the damage the virus is doing. Before we actually do get into it, too, I just want to tell you guys something. Last week, my stream straight up got shut down because I said some words that like coronavirus and things. If that happens this time, that's really okay with me. Uh, I'm recording it locally and everything so if the stream gets shut down I'll try to bring it back up and we'll just keep going. I'm not going to censor myself for the sake of YouTube. Uh, this goes up to a lot more platforms than just YouTube. I'm just going to say what I feel I need to say and YouTube can get fucked. So anyways, with all that being said, let's listen to some voicemails. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Hey, um, my name is William. I'm from North Carolina and what with the coronavirus happening and, and with people staying in their homes and schools closing down and whatnot and seeing as how you're an ex-Jehovah's Witness. I kind of want to ask how Jehovah's Witnesses are actually responding to the whole coronavirus outbreak situation that's going on and seeing as how they supposedly predicted the apocalypse several times over. I just wanted to know your take on it and what's actually going on with that. Thank you. That's a good question. Um, I did talk about that a little bit last week and I think that this call was from earlier than that. I just didn't have time to get to it. So it makes sense that the caller would ask that question. Basically, how were Jehovah's Witnesses responding to the coronavirus situation? The answer to that is, interestingly enough, it started out, they weren't really reacting poorly to it. It started out, they kind of viewed it as not that big of a deal. You know, people will calm down and realize it's not going to reach everywhere, things like that. That's actually kind of how they reacted to the Ebola situation in 2014 also. But as it became clearer and clearer, this was going to be a worldwide pandemic. Then they started buckling down and saying, this is the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Four horsemen of the apocalypse are war, pestilence, famine, and death. Those are the four horses of the uh, apocalypse, I believe. And they believe this to be the pestilence one, the, the disease one, pretty much. One of the really disturbing things about how Jehovah's Witnesses have reacted to this, and, and this isn't just from Jehovah's Witnesses. You see this from some other fundamentalist sects, S-E-C-T-S, sects, is the fact that there's like a silver lining behind every mushroom cloud. I think Sam Harris famously said that. They look at war and rejoice they're happy about it they can't wait to see the end come and they they view this as basically a harbinger of the end so they're glad they're happy to see all of this happening in fact you know one of the governing body members actually straight up said you think this is bad start smiling because it's going to get worse it's like wow dude that is dark that's the kind of thing you're looking at with this situation. A lot of groups um, rejoicing in the ugliness. And we're going to get into a little bit of that uh, in a while. Hello, this is Julio Peinaro, and I'm from California. I have a question. Well, it's about the coronavirus. And I've been looking at it, the coronavirus, the epidemic, and the fear that people 
I'm just looking for social. I'm looking at social media about people expressing their fears. Like people have been acting like it's the end of the world, but in reality, there's nothing to really worry about. But I know you have to take precautions about coronavirus, and you should be prepared in order to avoid an infection, right? I still don't understand why people are so paranoid and so afraid of pandemic. We've been through the um the more the more deadlier um, version of pandemic, such as the flu, the flu, and the back plague, one of the most deadliest plagues of all. Okay, so basically the question here, as I understand it, is why are people so concerned? Why are people so scared? And that's a really interesting question, actually. Uh, something that I've noticed regarding this this pandemic is the fact that in the best cases we we have seen the people that who we have tested the death rate is 0.7 percent in the best cases when people did contact tracing and wide-scale testing and things like that iceland actually tested their entire population and found that half of the the infected people were asymptomatic didn't even know they had it weren't coughing or sneezing or any of that stuff. So why is this so scary? When I get a phone call from the school, when Kylie is sick, for example, they they call me up and they tell me that she's sick, she's coughing, she's sneezing, whatever. But if she doesn't have a fever, historically, they said that she's not contagious and she can stay at school. That's not always the case. There are a lot of nuances there. But for the most part, that's kind of been the trend for viruses that are really common in my area of the country. You don't need a fever to be contagious with this. You don't need to be coughing or sneezing or anything. You, you don't even have to know that you have it. And you can still be contagious. You can still be spreading it around. And it's not just by, it's not just spread by coughing or sneezing on people necessarily. If you cough or sneeze at all, you are expelling basically virus particles into the air when you cough or sneeze, and they hang out in water droplets in the air for hours after you walk away. It is very, very contagious comparatively compared to like other illnesses. And the mortality rate is very high comparatively compared to other illnesses. So the fact that so many people are getting it is basically overwhelming the healthcare systems of the countries that are dealing with this right now. Like just look at Italy, what's happening with Italy right now. Their healthcare systems are being overwhelmed, and instead of having a 0.7% mortality rate, which is high, but it's, it's a lot lower than some other illnesses we've seen, instead of seeing a 0.7% mortality rate, we're seeing 6%, 7%, 8% mortality rate because the people who need critical care can't get critical care because the healthcare system is so overloaded right now. That is why this is so scary. Even though the deaths are preventable, there are a lot of people who are still dying despite the fact that they could have been saved if we had the manpower and the machinery that we need and things like that. There are these things called ECMO machines, ECMO is what it's called, I believe. And these ECMO machines basically oxygenate your blood. It just cut the lungs right out of the equation. They just oxygenate your blood. And the lungs have historically, with this illness, been the issue. 
So you'll get like fluid in your lungs. You won't be able to breathe. You'll get pneumonia and you'll die from it. But these ECMO machines just cut the lungs out of the equation and just oxygenate your blood directly for you. So no matter what, if you are hooked up to an ECMO machine, you will live through this illness. That's kind of the idea that people are looking at right now. We can prevent people from dying from this no matter what. It will not kill somebody if we don't want it to. But we don't have the ECMO machines for this. We don't have the ventilators that we need for this. We don't, I mean, how many people are there who are going to get this in the U.S.? Say it's going to be half the U.S. population that's going to get it. That's 330 million people in the U.S., right? So just have a nice round number. Half of that, let's say it's 165 million people have it. And best case scenario, say 0.7% death rate. That's still hundreds of thousands, millions of people. It's very, very scary. That's why people are, are concerned. But I truly have um, faith in our medical and scientific communities and educators. I have faith in them that they know what they're doing. They can solve problems. They can figure this out and they can guide us through it. So I'm not terribly worried for myself or the country, really. We're going to have a rough go of it. But um, I have faith in the medical community that they are really good at what they do and they can pull us through this. White privilege is objectively just a real thing. It's impossible to deny that white privilege is a thing. If you're white, then you have a better chance of getting jobs or, or doing this thing or that thing or anything else than you do if you're not white. That exists. Uh, male privilege exists. All these things exist, right? But those are systemic measurements. White privilege and male privilege and all that other stuff. Those are systemic measurements. When you boil this down to an individual level, it's absurd. I mean, just look at me. I grew up in complete isolation for four years, didn't have any friends or anything, had an abusive parent. I had a really garbage life growing up, and I have had a lower chance of succeeding than an awful lot of people. I had a lower chance of succeeding in life. Than a, than a lot of people have, especially considering the fact that I was a drug addict for a while, which I've talked about on my channel before. I have white privilege, but it's largely been counteracted and reversed by a lot of the stuff that I've gone through in my life. So applying male privilege or white privilege or whatever other type of privilege to individual persons, to just boiling it down to one individual person and saying, you have this, and so you have a better life than me, is absolutely absurd. It, it's completely absurd. And it's the same with the coronavirus. The mortality rate is a statistical anomaly. If I got it, I'm 30 years old, I'm reasonably healthy, I don't have any lung problems or anything like that, I would almost guaranteed make it through just fine. Even somebody with like diabetes and heart problems over 85 and everything else, they have a better chance of coming through it alive than not. It is a statistical anomaly when somebody dies. It's just a really high statistical anomaly. And it's, it's extremely significant when we're dealing with hundreds of millions of people. And a healthcare system is not 
set up for this at all. One death is, is too many. So it's not something that you have to worry about dying from personally, you, but if you go out of your house and just hang out and do whatever, eat, you know, go out to eat, go to the beach, whatever, and you happen to have it or you get it, you risk spreading it to tens of people, hundreds of people, thousands of other people, and, and their blood is on your hands. So be so extremely careful because you could be responsible for the deaths of an awful lot of people if you aren't very, very careful. It is something very serious, something to take very seriously. Do not play around with this. Yeah, uh, hello, this is Mr. Mikey from uh, Colorado, okay? I was just calling to tell you that uh, I've recently converted, okay, to a uh, Jehovah's Witness, and I saw your channel, and I think what you're doing is bad, okay? I think we're in the last of the last days, okay? Maybe you should uh, pick up a Bible, okay? Don't be a divot down. Pick up a Bible and read it, okay? Come on back to meetings, okay? You'll be there by yourself because we're all home, social distancing and shunning, okay? But anyways, okay, I think you should come back, okay? Come back to church and uh, repent of your sins. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I think that uh, this person was probably some form of, of Protestant before uh, they started watching my channel. I appreciate the... Uh, I appreciate the voicemail. The tip-off to being a Protestant is the use of the term church. That could be Catholic, too, I guess. And repent of your sins. Jehovah's Witnesses don't say either of those two things. So anyway, thank you for the call. I, I appreciate that. I skimmed the voicemail, like, text translation or whatever before I listened to it. And I thought it was a real Jehovah's Witness at first because I saw, you know... It, the text translation couldn't really make sense of what was being said exactly. It never can. It mistakes my name for all kinds of hilarious things, but that's really funny. I, I appreciate that. Don't be a Debbie Downer. That's good. I am Leo Mollahan. I'm from West Virginia. So pretty much my question is just some congregations of Jehovah Witnesses are less extreme. So, for example, my congregation, Spencer, West Virginia, they were, like, okay with blood transfusions if it was, like, life or death. So why do you think that some areas are more extreme while others aren't? It's a really good question. Um, I can't imagine a Jehovah's Witness congregation being okay with a blood transfusion if it was life or death. I absolutely cannot imagine that. If the organization, like the circuit overseer who visits there once every couple of months found out about that stance everybody in that congregation would be disfellowshipped that is an extremely serious thing for jehovah's witnesses the blood transfusion thing they will sacrifice their lives for that belief now there there is some give in some areas of the belief for example when i was growing up playing pokemon in my congregation was okay it was not okay for some other congregations. Reading Harry Potter books was okay in some congregations, not in mine. Was not allowed to read Harry Potter in my congregation, for example. Dating outsiders, there is some give, depending on the type of situation you're in. 
I had a patron at one point who was dating a Jehovah's Witness, and he was not a Jehovah's Witness. But the reason that the congregation was okay with that at the time is because apparently he lived basically in the middle of nowhere in, like, the Netherlands, and you had to take, like, a plane to get to the closest grocery store or whatever. And the congregation was so far away from the people who lived in the area that they only met once a month at the congregation instead of two or three times a week because the houses were spaced so far apart. So there is give in different areas depending on this thing or that thing, depending on the circumstances. Blood transfusions is not one of the things that they there's give on. Absolutely not. So I find it very, very interesting that your congregation was okay with that. That's, that is deviating from the core belief system so much that it's basically at risk of becoming its own sect at that point. That's really interesting. And we appreciate the phone calls. That was very, very interesting. Like all of those calls were really good. So thank you for calling in and leaving those voicemails. If you guys want to call and leave me a voicemail, the number is 1-800-701-8573. It is toll free in America. You can call on Skype or whatever else if you live in another country. So give that a shot and uh, maybe I'll listen to your voicemail on the channel. So anyway, let's take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about a new project. Jehovah's Witnesses just completed. So give us 30 seconds and we will be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the first article I wanted to look at is a really interesting one. It's entitled Jehovah's Witnesses Complete First Sign Language Bible. I have some questions, okay? I have some questions, but let's just read a little bit of this before I get into the questions. This is by news-journal.com, Longview News Journal, apparently, by Adele M. Banks Religion News Service, February 29th, 2020 is when this was written. When Howard Mallory first saw the Gospel of Matthew rendered in American Sign Language nearly 15 years ago, he said he was able to understand it more easily than when reading it in English. Seeing it in sign language, it was amazing, said Mallory, a deaf Jehovah's Witness from Northfield, New Hampshire. Of course, we wanted more. Only one book was done. On February 15th, the last of the Bible's 66 books, The Story of Job, was released in video on the Jehovah's Witnesses website, completing what Robert Hendricks, U.S. spokesman for the church, said is the only complete Bible in ASL. Okay, now for my questions. Why? (laughs) Why would you do that? Deaf people can read. What's the point in putting it in American Sign Language? Like, ASL is the... American specific version of sign language. So it's only useful here in the United States, first of all. And second, is this like a deaf person's version of an audiobook? Is that what this is? They have to stare at something anyways. So what's the point in doing sign language instead of just reading the book? This doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sorry. I don't know. Maybe that's ableist. I don't know. 
it's just really strange to me that somebody would do this in sign language instead of just reading the book. Just read the book in words instead of... Okay, anyway. It's like, could could deaf people not read it before? Is their hearing a hindrance to their reading ability? Or what's <laughs> what's happening? This is just really strange. Okay, let's continue reading. There have been 60 million downloads of the free videos. The signers are all men dressed in jackets and ties, with the English translation below since the Gospel of Matthew was released in 2006. We're not aware of any other translation ever in history in sign language, in any sign language that is complete, Hendricks said. There are many who have begun the translation, some who feel they'll finish it soon, some who are way off, but this is the first complete Bible with the 66 books. I've talked about this before in previous videos, but Jehovah's Witnesses' translation of the Bible was basically translated after they already had their belief system formed out. So the words they chose to use when translating support their already held beliefs. So the differences seem negligible between their translation and other translations of the Bible, but when you really get into it and look at the word differences, there are some differences here or there that support their belief system that don't necessarily belong there that other translators believe don't fit there. It shouldn't have been translated that way. So generally speaking, I don't read the New World Translation, Jehovah's Witnesses Translation of the Bible. I think it's full of things like that. I've seen lots and lots of examples. And like I said, I've done a video on this on, on my podcast and on my main channel. So if you're wondering what those differences are, those little differences, then just go check those videos out. I may end up putting a link in the description. Anyway. Let's continue reading. According to the website of United Bible Societies, which did not respond immediately to a request for comment, other Bible societies have been working on a similar goal. There are over 400 sign languages, and yet some Bible translation has so far only been carried out for 40 of these, and no sign language Bible exists, reads its website. The American Bible Society, likewise, said in an October post on its website that there was no complete sign language Bible, but we are inching closer and closer to changing this. Seriously, what's the point of a sign language Bible? I don't get it. This is basically the audiobook version of the Bible, I guess, for deaf people, except your eyes are occupied anyways. What is the point? What's the point? I really don't understand the point of this at all. This seems like such a waste of time. Why would anybody do this? I don't get it. Deaf Missions, an Iowa-based Christian organization, is close. Praise God, we have finished translating the entire New Testament and 33 out of 39 Old Testament books, said CEO Chad Entinger in an emailed response to questions. We look forward to celebrating on October 1st, 2020, the faithful, diligent work of those who have worked with deaf missions through the years to get all 66 books translated into ASL, the native preferred and heart language of deaf people. Howard Mallory said his favorite section of the Bible is the book of Daniel because it helps me to understand different prophecies and how they're being fulfilled today and what's going to happen in the future. No, I'm sorry, it doesn't help you understand that stuff at all, honestly. Mallory attends one of the 231 ASL congregations among the 13,000 U.S. gatherings of Jehovah's Witnesses. Little fun fact about me, Jehovah's Witnesses a lot of the time have uh, 
these basically these programs where they'll send you to like a Spanish congregation or a French congregation or whatever, trying to get you to learn a new language for the religion to try to help spread the word in other languages. Well, there wasn't really a demand for Spanish in my area. We didn't even have a Spanish congregation, but there was a demand for ASL. So I learned a little bit of sign language as a Jehovah's Witness to try to translate basically uh, the assemblies and things like that into sign language for deaf people. It was it was really cool, actually. It's really valuable. I'm glad that I got a chance to do that. But seriously, this seems so stupid. Anyway, let's continue reading. Of the 1.3 million active members known for knocking on doors and standing on street corners to bear witness of the faith, about 2,300 are deaf. It's not very many, and 1.3 million active members, that's not correct. Although they say active members, so to be an active member, you actually have to be knocking on doors. They have 8.5 million members. I don't know who wrote this, but it seems inaccurate, just based off of what I know of the religion. Uh, either way, interesting story. I just wanted to kind of cover that because it doesn't really make any sense to me, like at all. What a strange thing to do. It's just really, really weird. Tell you what, let's take another break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the election and how we're even going to vote without infecting people. So give us 30 seconds and we will be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I wanted to take a look at is entitled MAGA Cultist, We Should Cancel the Election Since Democrats Haven't Earned It. This is by Beth Stoneburner on the Friendly Atheist website, written March 28th. Right off the bat, there is a claim that Trump supporters are cult members. Now, I have addressed this in a video before. I, t I actually talked with Stephen Hassan about this on my YouTube channel. Stephen Hassan wrote the bite model. And he wrote a new book called The Cult of Trump. And he talked, to, he basically gave his defense for why he believes that Trump's supporters are cult members. And for the record, I completely agree with him on that point. I believe that it is a very strong cult of personality. And I haven't really talked at length about how cults of personality operate, but I'm getting ready to work on a video uh, all about it. And I'm hoping to put it in a book that I'm writing at this moment. So keep a lookout for both of those things. Just know that I have classified it as a cult. Stephen Hassan, the guy who wrote the Byte Models, classified it as a cult. So that's my position. Let's read the article. Right-wing broadcaster Josh Bernstein, who claimed just last month that the only options on the November ballot were Trump or death, now wants to cancel the presidential election altogether because Democrats don't deserve to challenge Trump. I'm not exactly sure what that means. Uh, this is a quote. In times like this, you should be kissing the ground that President Trump walks on, Bernstein said. You have a true leader in the White House that's handling this thing and doing the best job possible. In times like this, you should be kissing the ground that President Trump walks on, Bernstein said. You have a true leader in the White House that is handling this thing and doing the best job possible 
If this was a Democrat, forget it. There would be hundreds, thousands of more people dead already. Okay, the thing about leadership is, as a leader, you have to point in a direction and go. You can't waffle, you can't not be sure. You have to be positive of what the goals are and what you're doing. And if you need to change direction, then you get out there and you explain why you're changing the direction and you do it. Donald Trump hasn't really been doing that at all with this virus situation. Trump gave clear leadership in the beginning. He said, we're locking down. I feel like a wartime president. We're moving forward from here and we're doing this thing and this thing and that thing. Here are the data that we have. Here are the statistics that we have. These are the next steps according to the scientists. I felt really good about what he said actually in his original speech. And then not long after that, he comes out and he starts tweeting things contrary to that. So originally in the very beginning of this, he said he didn't really believe it. It was a hoax and blah, blah, blah. You know, I can forgive him for that because for some of it at the very least, it went on way too long. But let's just say he didn't know how serious it was. He has the intelligence community at his disposal. He should have known how serious this was, but okay. Let's say he didn't. From there, he gave a he should be giving us clear leadership through this situation. He should give us direct instructions for what the country needs to do to get out of this and what he's hoping for is goals and results. And he did that at first, and then he moved on to I want to see the churches packed by Easter. That's what he said. I want to see the churches packed by Easter. That's waffling. That's going back and forth. That's changing your goals and direction completely. We had momentum. We were moving. We were ready to do this thing. We were ready to self-quarantine, and we knew that we had the president of the U.S. behind us on this. And now you're reversing course. And just before I got in here, you reversed again and said, we have to wait till April 30th. Now, that just so happens to be the right call. But which is it, man? You flip-flopped, flip-flopped four times now. There's no leadership. There's no clear leadership here at all. I would rather have Mike Pence at the helm right now for this virus situation as the political leader than Trump because the United States needs clear political leadership during this situation. There are people without jobs, without health insurance, millions of people looking at, at looking death in the face at this moment. And this guy doesn't know what he wants to do. He doesn't know what the right decision is because he keeps going back and forth, back and forth. There's no good political leadership. Put somebody in charge who knows how to lead. Donald Trump ain't it. Let's continue reading. In times like this, you should be kissing the ground that President Trump walks on, Bernstein said. You have a true leader in the White House that is handling this thing and doing the best job possible. If this is a Democrat, forget it. There would be hundreds, thousands of more people dead already. Sure, by firing the pandemic team, downplaying the seriousness of the threat when he could have acted, and claiming the virus is no worse than the flu, Trump saved lives. Everything makes sense when facts don't matter. Like I said, I understand if Trump was downplaying the seriousness in the very, very beginning, say in December, early January, I get it. But by... February, he shouldn't have been. He has access to the intelligence community. He knew how serious this was. He was just trying to save the stock market at that point. 
a futile effort, as we saw. I say we just cancel the election, he added. Give President Trump until 2024 to not only get the economy back roaring again, but get rid of this virus. But you know what, Democrats? You haven't earned the right to even challenge this man. Why? Because you tried to usurp his power from the beginning with your Russian coup. Then you tried again with the Ukraine coup. Then you tried to impeach him for absolutely nothing. And now we have this. For the record, uh, let me tell you guys what happens if the election isn't held. I've come to find recently, if the election is actually canceled, the Speaker of the House becomes president on January 20th, 2021. That's what happens. It's in the Constitution. On January 20th, this president's term ends and the next president is brought in. So if Trump just said, no, we're not doing it, we're not having an election. I'm just declaring myself president for the next four years. His term would end and the Secret Service and the CIA and the FBI and the military would all report to the next person in line after the vice president, since the VP is also part of this administration, which would be the Speaker of the House, which is Nancy Pelosi. So Nancy Pelosi would waltz right into the White House and kick Trump out. That's what would happen if Trump canceled the election for the record. If you guys are worried, I wouldn't be. There's no way Trump could cancel the election. It would not be in his best interests. And I'm sure somebody's probably explained that to him by now. Uh, Let's continue reading. I don't recall anyone making this argument when Bill Clinton was impeached. The fact that Bernstein dismisses entirely the backbone of the impeachment case, the numerous instances of corruption uncovered in it, the corruption that occurred before the election, and the endless examples of Trump's lack of character and integrity. There's no reason to keep him in office at this point. We've suffered enough. I agree. Um, I really, really hope that we get Trump out of office. I'm not a huge fan of the other option at this moment, but I just don't want Trump there anymore. He is, uh, he just comes, I said this on Twitter recently, Trump just comes across to me like an old moron who is obsessed with people who he views as important liking him like he goes to the g20 summit or whatever the g7 summit talks to world leaders and the next day he goes out on stage and lists out every one of them painstakingly by name sat down with angela merkel sat down with justin trudeau sat down with President Xi, sat down with Putin. It's like, oh my God, are you going to sit there and list literally every world leader that you've ever met in your life? Who cares? We know they're world leaders and we know that you've met them before. Just get to the point. What are you trying to communicate to us? He just, it's like he he gloats because he's proud of where he is. It's like he's trying to prove to the world that he's not a loser. And that's just like really bizarre to me. Like, If you're not a loser, then you don't have to prove that you're not a loser, it seems to me. It's like he thinks that he's a loser and he's trying to convince himself that he's not. And he thinks that he can do that by convincing other people that he's not. It's just really, really weird. I wish the guy would go to therapy, seriously. If he would go to therapy, I just think it'd do him a world of good. It's just really sad that his emotional state is where it is that he needs to he needs validation the way he does it's just really sad for him let's continue reading this this is another quote from bernstein 
You've stolen the first term away from this president, and he's still been successful despite all your bull. Okay, now hold on. The first two years of this president's term, uh, the Republicans controlled the entirety of the government. He had a Republican-controlled Senate, a Republican-controlled House, and a Republican-dominated Supreme Court, and, of course, a Republican president. So if he didn't get done what he wanted to do in those first two years, then he is truly incompetent. He had everybody behind him. The entire U.S. government was behind him for two years. And now the vast majority of the U.S. government is behind him. The Supreme Court, the Senate, and the presidency are all three Republican. The only Democratic part of the U.S. government is the House of Representatives. So, it's, honestly, if he can't get done now what he wants to do, then he's still incompetent. He should still be able to, considering how heavily weighted it is in Republicans' favor. Anyway, you've stolen the first term away from this president, and he's still been successful despite all your bull, and all your garbage, and all your horrible rhetoric, and all your opposition, and all the horrible things you've done with the deep state and everybody else. What the hell is the deep state? You don't deserve the right to even run in 2020. How dare you even have the audacity to run anyone against this president? Trump's inability to accomplish anything that helps working people stretches back to his first several months in office when he had complete GOP control of the government and no impeachment investigation. That's true. As for successful, he's wrong on every count. But just look at what Trump has done to the stock market, his favorite measure of success, to see why even his usual base may be turning away. Okay, now let's pause there. I just want to point something out. The stock market is tanking at this immediate moment as a result of the virus. The catalyst was the virus. I happen to believe that it was a bubble, that the stock market was in a bubble. Okay, let me just let me just step back and explain. We live in something called a credit-based economy. Okay? So that means we loan money and we borrow money. When you live in a credit-based economy like we do, like pretty much every modern nation does, you have something called boom-bust cycles. You usually this is just economics 101. You usually have a little boom every seven years, followed by a little bust, and then a big boom every 70 years, and a big bust. So the last big boom was the Roaring Twenties, and the last big bust was the Depression, 1930, early 30s, late 20s. So people were expecting the next big boom and bust to take place uh, around the year 2000, 2010, somewhere in there. And we did kind of see that. We saw a big boom in 2000. The dot-com bubble is what it was called. And then we saw a big bust in 2008. Uh, we had a small bust earlier than that from the Iraq war. But we had a big one, the 2008 recession. And from the 2008 recession we slowly started kind of gliding upward little by little. It's possible to prevent those cycles from taking place, the booms and the busts like that, every seven years and every 70 years. It is possible to avoid that in a credit-based economy. But the thing that you need to do is regulate the economy. You have to push through regulations. And 
FDR understood that, and that's why he signed in, I believe FDR signed in the Glass-Steagall Act to basically regulate the big banks and things like that. And that was supposed to hold us through to kind of prevent those booms and busts from happening as dramatically or as often. Bill Clinton, I believe, undid Glass-Steagall. He just completely, he, he erased it. And what happens? Big boom, big bust. So people have actually been expecting a, a big bust. They were expecting it in 2016, actually, because the last bust happened in 2008. So about seven years after that, we're looking at 2015, 2016, somewhere in there. But Obama, it seems like he adequately regulated the economy well enough to prevent the bust from happening, at least during his term. I honestly expected the economy to just plummet. I, I expected this was a bubble. And here we are, 2020, and this bubble has popped. I can't blame Trump for that exactly. I don't think he knows what he's doing at all. I think he's just running on autopilot. I think he doesn't even realize how economics works is my suspicion. But he has smart people around him who do and who are kind of trying to manage it and, and, and keep it going as an attempt to make Republican administrations look good, understandably. But the coronavirus situation just, boom, just drove the economy right into the ground. Like I said, I can't really blame Trump for that. It is what it is. But it was bound to happen eventually, so we'll see what happens from here. It, it'll come back. It's just going to be a struggle. Let's continue reading. Of course, elections are written into the Constitution. That used to matter to Republicans once upon a time. Somehow, criticizing Trump, and rightfully so, gives him power to rule as a dictator, even though free speech, too, is in the Constitution. This is a fringe view, but make no mistake, it won't just be people like Bernstein saying it in coming months. Republicans love changing the rules if it gives them more power. They'll try to cancel the elections if it looks like they're going to lose. Don't fall for it. Update. This is hilarious. After Bernstein realized Trump would no longer be president if an election doesn't take place, that's right, it would be Nancy Pelosi, he took back everything he said about canceling the election. He admits what he said earlier wasn't 100% accurate. Oh, I love it, man. I love it. People are so stupid. I swear, people are so stupid. I don't know how they function on a day-to-day -day basis sometimes. They're so stupid. They're just propaganda machines. I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break. Give it about 30 seconds. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the Mormon church and how they're dealing with the coronavirus. So give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. Welcome back to the podcast. I know a lot of you guys probably noticed me touching my face. It's okay. I washed my hands before the podcast. And also I'm inside, so I haven't like been out really at all, except earlier. And I did wash my hands after that. So don't worry. I can touch my face as much as I want. It's okay. No viruses in here. We're safe. <laughs> I have to be able to touch my face sometimes. I have to. 
What am I going to do if I can't touch my face sometimes? I mean, not all the time, but every now and then at least? Please, let me touch my face when I'm at home streaming. Anyway, <laughs> I will die if I can't touch my face sometimes. When I can't touch my face, like when I'm out or something, my nose itches basically nonstop the entire time I can't touch my face. It's awful. I hate going out because of that. Not because I might catch the virus, but because I can't touch my face. That makes it the worst. Anyway, <laughs> let's, let's, let's take a look at this article. So this article is by Time Magazine. We have a couple of articles that I want to take a look at about this subject. So let's read this. It's by Time Magazine. The title is Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh my God, that name is so long. LDS Church and or Mormons. You can call them that if you want cancels all worship services worldwide during pandemic. The LDS church is suspending all of its worship services globally because of the spread of the new The decision was made hours after Utah's governor recommended limiting group gatherings in the state to no more than 100 people for at least two weeks. And by the way, this was written on March 12th, so it's a little bit dated at this moment. Uh, it was written by the Associated Press originally. Let's continue reading. The Utah-based faith sent a letter Thursday to members informing them of a decision that also calls on a temporary suspension of all church activities until further notice. This is a really, really big deal. The move comes a day after the faith announced it would hold a major conference in early April without attendees. It's the first time since a 1957 flu epidemic that the religion has taken the step of barring church members from attending in person. This isn't the only article I wanted to read about this. This one was by Time. I have another article here by the Salt Lake Tribune. Of course, Salt Lake City being the capital of Utah, I believe, and the capital of Mormon country. An obnoxious number of people in Salt Lake City are Mormon, like 40%. Like one out of every two people you pass on the street is going to be a Mormon pretty much in this city. So it's even more concentrated in certain specific areas of the city. So let's read this. Hang on, let me find the exact thing that I wanted to read. Um, there was an earthquake in Salt Lake City, I believe, or in Utah anyways. And it actually shook everything so hard that it knocked the horn off of the statue Moroni on the Salt Lake Temple. It was actually a really big deal, and, it, and it's kind of sad. I hate to see destruction like that, so I'm sorry that they had to deal with that. I didn't really get to cover that, and I'm not going to be able to cover that today either. Uh, we'll cover it another day. For now, I wanted to take a look at this article, Shakes Up Church Operations. This is updated March 19th, 2020. It was written by David Noyce, I believe, N-O-Y-C-E. Church-related closures and cancellations, like the spread of the world is combating, came quickly and relentlessly. Um, it Actually, Jehovah's Witnesses closed everything down before Mormons did. Uh, people were asking Mormons questions about why they weren't closing things down yet um, when this really started in full swing. Worship services have been canceled worldwide until further notice, putting the faith's home-centered, church-supported model to an extreme test. The sacrament, or communion, is to be made available at least once a month. Now, I believe that means... 
they have to go into to their chapels, their churches, basically, to get it. I could be wrong there. Scores of temples have shut down and others open by appointment only, and only for living ordinances, such as marriages, sailings, and endowments for prospective missionaries and couples intending to wed. Okay, so that's still a little bit risky. I believe what they mean when they say for only living ordinances is they're not going to be doing baptisms for the dead for this immediate moment. You can continue doing your genealogy to figure out who your great-great-grandparent was so that you can get baptized for them or whatever. That's basically what they do. They, they're super into genealogy so that they can figure out everybody in their past who has ever lived, and then they get baptized for them in their place, proxy baptism, so that now they're dead, they have the choice of going to super VIP heaven or not, pretty much. Getting out of purgatory or spiritual prison, I think it's called. So they're not doing those at this moment. They've shut that down, I guess. They're just doing ceilings, which is basically marriages, pretty much. A little bit more than that. And endowments for prospective missionaries and couples intending to wed. The church further stated the temples will accept only appointments for living ordinances for members residing within the local temple district. However, in states or regions with multiple temples, a news release noted, those temples can schedule living ordinances for members within those states or regions. All proxy work, which is the proxy baptisms, we get baptized for people who have already died, in which members perform ordinances such as baptisms for their deceased ancestors, is on hold. Okay, that's, that's a plus. That's a move in the right direction, at least. Mission calls will keep going out, but the new proselytizers may start their service elsewhere. Okay, that's not a good idea. Continuing to send missionaries out, that's a bad idea. Why are they doing that? Young elders serving in the U.S. and Canada will come home early if they've served 21 months. They should be coming home early anyways. Just come home. Senior missionaries and those with serious or chronic medical conditions across Europe have returned early. Good. The same may occur for such missionaries elsewhere. Non-native missionaries in the Philippines, Korea, and Mongolia will do or have done the same. Mongolia? Really? I didn't know they had missionaries in Mongolia. That's really interesting. I would love to go to Mongolia one day. Seems like a cool place to go. Most non-native missionaries in Africa will return home to self-quarantine and then serve their home countries based on capacity and need. They shouldn't be serving at all. Don't go door to door. This is what I was saying in my video the other day. Put a sign up. Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, not welcome. Do not knock. Do not want you here. I am quarantining. Stay away. Seriously, Mormons are still knocking on doors. And, and, and Jehovah's Witnesses are too a little bit, although they did put the call out that they should stop doing door knocking and start preaching in other ways like social media. A lot of them haven't really gotten the message though, like I said. For many who remain in the fields, they're teaching with technology without leaving their apartments. Good, okay, that's a step in the right direction, but it says for many who remain in the field. Not all who remain in the field are teaching with technology. We shouldn't have anybody knocking on doors right now, anybody. You are risking people's lives with this garbage. Missionaries in the US and Canada, along with those in much of the world, have been instructed not to go door to door or contact people on the street. That's, that, that's a good sign. Church schools, including Brigham Young University in Provo, have canceled classes and are instead teaching courses online. Classes have been canceled for seminaries and institutes too, especially in places where schools 
have been shuttered. The Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square's weekly radio show, the longest continuously running network broadcast will go on, but the performances will be reruns. Um, They should cancel that. Temple Square, one of Utah's most popular tourist draws, along with the church's libraries, museum, restaurants, and other visitor attractions in downtown Salt Lake City, have closed. Good. One thing that people don't seem to be getting with this quarantine situation, you're supposed to be staying home, right? So that means going to your house and not not going to work right now. People are like going outside and walking their dogs, or they're going on hikes and just checking out the trees and stuff. And they're like, well, I'm not really around other people, right? So it's mostly safe. I can do this if I'm not really around other people. The problem with that is other people have that idea too. So how many people do you pass on the street when you walk your dog or when you go on a hike? How many people are you passing? Do you see literally anybody at all? Because I do. I see people pass my street constantly still. The CDC is recommending you don't go outside at all for anything. They said you can walk your dog once a day if you want. If you smoke cigarettes or something, you can go out on your front porch and then come right back inside. You're not supposed to be going outside at all. Like not stepping out your front door unless you're going to the grocery store pretty much right now. That's kind of what the CDC is saying at this immediate moment. So that's what I've kind of been living by for a while. It's really, really hard to do, even for me. I stay in a lot of the time because I work from home, but I do it. It's not fun. It's not pleasant to not be able to hang out with friends or see friends or go outside and see the sun. It's not fun, but I'm doing it, and everyone else should be doing it too. And the fact that the Mormon church took as long as they did to cancel literally all contact with the outside world is pretty messed up and they still haven't entirely canceled contact with the outside world so i'm really not happy about that let me just read the super chats jesus christ i've got like a lot of super chats thank you guys so much for all those this is i imagine these are going to be really weird omega riley two dollars screw you here's two dollars well thank you I will take that, screw you. Zilfner, I hate you and don't want your clearly ugo body or stupid opinions at all. Also, why can't I say hate, that's dumb, or other words? Yeah, welcome to YouTube. <laughs> Thanks for the super chat. The Gaytheist, don't you just love when haters send you money? Zilfner, as it turns out, is not actually a hater. Zilfner's been an avid watcher and super chatter for a while. I do get super chats from people who legitimately hate my message or who I am or what I say or whatever, whatever. You know, who cares? <laughs> Let them blow their money if they on hateful garbage if that's what they want to do. Uh, Zolfner, I was pretty wasted last week. Wasn't your streaming failing then too? But why won't YouTube let me pay to say rude things. Welcome to YouTube, like I said. Yeah, my stream did go down last week. I've mostly fixed the issue, for the most part, the technical issues that I was having. But yeah, YouTube just straight up pulled my video down completely for saying words. I think it was because I had the word coronavirus in the metadata. This video isn't actually completely processed. So after it gets processed, it may actually get pulled down. So it hasn't had a chance to basically analyze the the transcript yet. The automated system hasn't. But last week, I had the word coronavirus in the title, and it saw that. And I suspect that's why it took it down. 
Evan Inge, we thought the robot apocalypse would be like Terminator. We were wrong. It's YouTube algorithms screwing over people like you. Have some monies. Thank you. This is what's happening in America right now with YouTube censoring things like that. Something even worse is happening in China. They have this thing called WeChat, and it's basically like the SMS, like the text messaging system that the entire country uses to communicate with each other. If you say something critical of the Chinese government or something that the Chinese government doesn't want talked about, and if it's serious enough, They'll disable your ability to talk through certain apps like WeChat, uh, which is, like I said, the SMS messaging system that they use mostly. And if it's serious enough, they will have police come to your door and arrest you. They did that for the coronavirus whistleblower. He said to his grad students through WeChat, hey guys, I want you all to be really careful. There's a new virus going around right now. It's really concerning. Wear face masks to class or something like that. And when he got home that day, there were police waiting for him at his house when he sent that message, that private message. So China is kind of an authoritarian nightmare at this immediate moment. Omega Riley, you ignored my other chat. So screw you, have five more dollars. Well, I wasn't going to ignore it. I, I got to it eventually. Thank you, uh, Omega Riley. I appreciate that. Zolfner, you're wrong for your sign comments. It's a culture. It's a culture. Interesting. Okay. I assume you're talking about the ASL comments, like what I was saying about American Sign Language, because that's around the time I started talking about that. Oboe King M. Hi, I think you should look into African pastors. Oh, I have. I've talked about them a lot. Zolfner, Trump 2020. I know you're not actually a Trump supporter. In fact, earlier in the podcast, I asked if you were a Trump supporter and then you super chatted. I am not, but I'm Republican. He's our best chance. Interesting. Interesting take. I completely disagree with you on that take that he's our best chance. And I explained my reasons for that earlier, but disagreements are okay. I believe we should be able to work through disagreements always. So thank you for that super chat. Lol, I've been listening to you for a long time. You'd be surprised on what I agree with you on. I'm a super bi-atheist Republican. I hate Pelosi. I'm not a big fan of Pelosi either. I really don't like her and I really don't trust her at all. So I'm kind of in the same boat as you on that one. Wolfner, what the fuck? Pelosi can be president. Oh my God. E-F-D-F-F-F-F-F. Yeah, she would be president if Trump canceled the election. And people have started to realize that. So now they're not talking about canceling the election anymore. Evan Inge, as a studying physicist, I volunteer to build a rocket to Mars for all of us if Trump wins the election. Okay. I'm pretty confident he's going to win the election, honestly. I'm going to be voting against Trump. Whoever that happens to be for, I will be voting against him. But I have a strong feeling he's going to get it. Kaylin the Trudented. I hope my voicemail gets covered. I was nervous. Oh, it's fine. If you're nervous, uh, I've been like cutting out like long gaps. Like some po- sometimes people leave long gaps in the voicemails or whatever. I just cut those out. It's not a big deal. Or if you're not comfortable with the voicemail you leave and I see the same number repeated right above it, and it's clear that you intended for me to read the second one, I'll just delete the first one and listen to the second one. So if you mess up or whatever, feel free to call back in and leave a second corrected message, and I'll just go with the second corrected one. Thank you for that super chat, by the way. Uh, Let's see, Zolfner super chatted again. He's our best chance to keep Dems out of office. I agree that he's the best chance to keep Democrats out of office. I don't believe that... Trump would be a better leader than the current Democrat frontrunner. For one thing, Trump would put federal judges in who I fundamentally disagree with ideologically. Any Democrat 
would put in a judge that closer aligned to me ideologically than the ones that Trump would put in. So I am hoping for a Democratic president, no matter who it happens to be, just on judgeships alone. It, it is really concerning. The whole thing's really concerning. I honestly think America is fucked. Um, I, I don't have high hopes for the country, and I'm honestly ready to move to Canada right now. It's not just Trump. It's not just the Republican Party. It's just this entire infrastructure of politics that we have here is absolutely grotesque. The Democrats, too. There are, there are not two political parties in this country. Like, Noam Chomsky said this, I believe. There aren't two political parties in this country. There's one, the corporate party. And the Democrats and the Republicans both bend over and grab their ankles for the corporate party. That's pretty much the gist of it. And that really bothers me a lot. I can't stand it. Canada has its problems too, a lot of them, but not like I feel the U.S. does. I don't know. Maybe Canada is just as bad. Maybe Canada's worse. Who knows? But it's just really concerning. Thank you, Zolfner, for super chatting like so much. And thank you to Evan Inge and Kaylin and Oboe King and Omega Riley and the Gaytheist, everybody. Thank you all. I, I appreciate this so much. You guys are just the shit. I'm, I love doing the streaming because I like to interact with you guys and everything. Kaylin the Trudented. Yeah, I stuttered and paused a lot. I sounded like I was rambling. Also, longtime watcher here. I'm an ex-Catholic, agender, ace-atheist. Awesome. Well, thank you for watching. It's really fantastic. I wouldn't worry too much about this stuttering and the rambling and stuff. I'll just, I'll shave it down and make it sound good. I haven't even listened to it, so I don't know what it sounds like. But if you do want to call back in and do a correction or whatever, then feel free. And I'll just use the second version instead. Thank you all once again for coming in and giving this a listen. I guess this is where I will end it. I will talk to you guys next week. If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there. Second, you can support me by checking out my Etsy store. I sell 3D printed stands for every system, from the original Nintendo to the Xbox One. And finally, if you want to support me in other ways, you can check me out on my other channels. I have the podcast channel, which is where I talk about whatever's on my mind. Politics, social issues whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.